Dave Max Cork History Matters, brought to you by Red FM. Kieran Connolly, you are the author of Sam Maguire, The Man and the Cup, and we spoke on a Cork History Matters podcast late last year on Cork's GAA Holy Trinity, they being Archbishop Croke, Liam McCarthy, and Sam Maguire. Archbishop Croke, born in Cork, McCarthy, born of Cork, parents in London, uh, but they were very much the Cork Mafia, and certainly Maguire was the, the man who, who swore uh, Michael Collins into the IRB. Having been sworn in by McCarthy himself. Look, people can go and have a listen to that. It was an interesting podcast. But you and I enjoyed it so much that we started chatting and saying, what else can we look at? And uh, 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 You've come back to me. Yeah, you've, thank you've, you. you. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. you you've come back with something, uh, uh, something that most people won't know about, I don't think. Shrove Tuesday 2021 is February 16th. It's, the ch- it's Pancake Tuesday, as people know it. It's, your, it's the day before... Lent commences Uh, and and seemingly in the past there's one thing you couldn't do during Lent if you remember the Catholic faith I don't know if it's worldwide (laughs) or just Ireland but you weren't to be getting married so no you weren't allowed to get married no 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 something got cooked up then that's Uh, right yeah go on give us give us the scale so where will we go with this the church at the time said in Lent they said you couldn't get married so that meant there was tremendous pressure on people to get married before Lent and Shrove Tuesday was the last day so Shrove Tuesday became a very significant day it became known as Skellig Night the logic of that name is that the old Irish church disagreed with the Pope on the calculation of the date for Easter. There was a synod which agreed the date between the Catholic Church in Rome and the Catholic Church in Ireland. But there was a tradition in Ireland that the monks on the Skellig Rock maintained the old Gaelic tradition of a different date for Easter. And that meant that Shrove Tuesday came five days later on the Skellig Rock. And that meant... If you went to the Skellig Rock, you could get married in those five days. That's funny now because I've read a few bits and pieces that suggest that the Christian church in Ireland was always sort of hard to control from Rome. They always had a bit of their own thing about them. And in fact, the uh, invasion of the Normans was justified by Henry. Uh, uh, He appealed to the church in Rome to say, uh, to try to cover his tracks, that part of his reason for going into Ireland with the Normans uh, and Strongbow was to bring the Irish church back under the realm of of the Roman church. And there's seemingly a bill called Law Debilitor, a church document that gave Henry permission to go and do what he did. Um, That's right, uh, the papal bull, yes, not a bulletin. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, uh, even though I think... Declaration by the Pope that, he, that Henry could do what he wanted, yeah. Even though I think there's some doubts then as to whether this was a real thing or, or subsequently was cooked up. <laughs> but... but but, but the, the English were always at it. But the Irish Church followed the, the Orthodox Christian calendar more than it did the Roman calendar. Right, and the monks out in the Skellig Rocks, they'd, they'd have been amongst these because you can read what they wrote way back in the day and despite how far out and remote they were, they were well versed on what was happening around the world. So right. it's, like, it's like as if the sea was, was, was the motorway of the day back in the day in the olden days. So yeah, rather than yeah. being sort of something that cut you off from stuff, it connected you to the rest of the world. So right. the, the Irish Christian Church kept more of the Orthodox Christian calendar, which would have dated Easter in a different fashion and the monks and the skelligs would have been amongst those so maybe there's some connection with all of that so you couldn't get married through Lent so Shrove Tuesday was what your last chance to get married is it? your last chance to get married outside of the skellig rock because over in the skellig they followed the old calendar so Easter was later okay but that was where the name for it came from that's exactly it. Yeah. Okay, right. So, what uh, would what would happen then on this? Was it Skellig Night or Skelling? There was Skellig, was Skellig Night. Yeah, I think its pronunciation is different because the man from Acromus 
telling me he called it, he thought it might have been skilling night or skilling night. Yes. Or skilling yes, night. Yes. So I suppose over time in different localities, um, the name would have been changed as people repeated it. The accuracy wouldn't have been 100%. And it would have had variations of the same theme. But this, skilling, be- skilling, but, skilling, but, but this became an event on a night, uh, on Shrove Tuesday, and it became a bit of a ram- rambunctious affair, did it? Oh, it did, yeah, because Shrove Tuesday is observed in every Catholic region, and it's the last night that you can celebrate before Lent, because Lent was a period of fasting, and you couldn't eat meat for most of the days in Lent, so people ate meat um, and fasted, or sorry, feasted. And probably the most famous one is the Mardi Gras, or Fat Tuesday in New Orleans, which is a huge celebration before Lent takes place. So it was the same in Ireland that the Shrove Tuesday became a big night of drinking and feasting. But in particular then, what would happen was that groups of young men would go in search of single people whom they thought should be married, but weren't married, and they would corral them with ropes and bring them to a nearest source of water, a water tap, and douse them with water to tell them that they should be on the Skellig and that they were now on what was called the Skellig list, drawn up by local people of those whom they thought they should be married. And they would be treated quite, well, not quite badly, I suppose, but lucky enough anyway. It sounds like a bit of bullying. It is indeed, no doubt about that, yeah. And to add to the pain then, local poets would write what they call Skellig lists, which consisted of um, poetry, doggerel poetry, as was you'd call it, which pointed out or had a list of the people who were on, who were single, who should that people thought should be married, and they would be very vicious and would identify specific family characteristics that maybe were embarrassing to the family, and they would be printed in large numbers and circulated on Skellig Night, and perhaps delivered to the houses of the people who were the target of the Skellig Nights. List. And there's an example there from Bandon in 1843. Jack Lovell says he's sick of life because he cannot get a wife. A house he has in North Main Street with bed and bedstead all complete. His lady will have all together besides gold and lots of leather. Take courage, Jack. Be not dismayed. Miss Marshall still remains a maid. Our coffee, though strongest bunk, I'm sure will never make you drunk. So they would gather... Um, People would go out on the street, banging pots and pans, accompanied by musicians, making noise, and corral the people who are the targets and douse them with water as punishment, I suppose, for not being married, which was the requirement of the local society at the time. And an interesting point then was where we came across this in the first place uh, was that the Fenians chose Gellig Night in 1867 as a night for their rebellion in 1867 because they thought, I presume, that the mayhem around the streets would give them cover for men with guns mightn't be too obvious if there was mayhem taking place on the streets anyway. And that was what they chose as their rebellion night. So they were mayhem all over the place. And as you say, I think correctly, bullying of the single people, which shows you how powerful the church was, that people were willing to do in a sense, carry, be a police force for the church and humiliate people who weren't married and who were outside the regulation of the church in that sense then, that they might have sex outside marriage and people were willing to to 
dish out this terrible rough treatment to the people in question. And there's a wonderful painting in the Crawford Gallery in Cork, which is Skellig Knight on the South Mall in Cork in 1845 by an artist called James Beale. At that time, where the National Monument now is on the Grand Parade, there was a statue, what they call an equestrian statue, of King George II, the King of England, the uh, previous King of England. And it was painted, at one point, it was painted uh, golden yellow in 1781. And the Irish for yellow is bui, and the Irish for horse is copple. And the Irish translation for Grand Parade is copple bui. So George's golden yellow horse was used to name the street there in the Irish version of the street anyway. And George himself, then, as I may point out, perhaps deserved the statue because he was the last king of England to lead an army in battle in the Battle of, I'm not sure about the pronunciation, the Battle of Dittingen uh, in June 1743. And that battle was a battle in what was called uh, the War of the Austrian Succession, which was the other powers attempting to divide up Austrian territory for themselves. And later in that war, in 1745, at the Battle of Fontenoy, a famous charge by the Irish Brigade won the day for the French. So the Irish had um, a big role in, in at least that battle anyway. So George's statue was tumbled by, as the phrase has it, the wonderful phrase, persons unknown in 1862. The corporation removed the structure so it's only, the only record of it now really is in this wonderful painting in the Crawford. So in the scene, in the painting, the poor victims are, one man is on a donkey, others are in hand carts or wheelbarrows, and others are in carts drawn by horses, um, being paraded around the bonfire on the Grand Parade, which where it intersects with the South Mall, and being treated and humiliated and shouted at and the Skellig lists themselves are scattered all over the ground uh, in the painting containing the list of the poor buggers who are on the donkey and in the carts. People would be brought under a tap and doused with water, which seems to be um, the, the regular treatment wherever this took place. And there was a suggestion in the sources as well that some victims would be brought in the cart miles outside the city left them to find their own way back into the city, which, as you correctly described it earlier, is definitely uh, a form of bullying by, by, any, by any standard. I have, to, I have to say, it's all—it's bizarre, isn't it? The whole story. It is, yeah, like, it is. I have to say, I w- you know, I would be the last, well, I wouldn't be the last person to defend the Catholic Church, but I wouldn't be standing out trying to... to no, no, I know what you mean. But, yeah, you, but yeah. you wonder whether this is just sort of... Uh, taken up by people and, and there's arms and legs added to it, if you know what I mean, and there's an opportunity yeah. for a bit of crack. Because, you know, there was there would have been like fair days and pattern days and all sorts of things in the oh, past yeah. ended yeah. up getting banned because of, you know, the drinking and the fighting and, the, and right. you know, so you'd want well, like... Definitely, life was very dull. I don't know how much and, you could blame the Catholic Church for this. No, no, this, no, this, no, this no, might no, have life been... was very dull. Huh. And as I remember myself in the 1950s as a young boy and the 1960s as a teenager, we took any and every opportunity to break out and entertain ourselves in that way mm. because life was so dull. You would grasp every opportunity and the church had nothing to do with You know, you're right there. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know how much we would fully blame them for this, but it's tied into the mores oh God, of, the, of the times. Much, if you very like. tied in with their 
attitude to sex. Mm. So Shrove Tide is the time between Christmas and Easter, and that mm-hmm. was seemingly a, a what, what's the word pro, 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 propitious or or uh, a good time to get married is what I'm. There's some sort what of word. Would be of course. There's, yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there's some yeah. sort of word beginning with P. I'm trying to find there that I can't. Um, a good yeah. time to get married. So if you, so that was part of it. If you hadn't married through Shrove Tide and you were someone who quote unquote was supposed to be in the zone for getting married, <laughs> then what were you at? But it does. You know there is an there's a bullying aspect in here. Maybe it's all tomfoolery and horseplay. But there's oh, a, yeah, but there's there, a serious element. There's a potential meanness in there as well. But look, let's link it to a few other things. I mean, Shrove Tuesday, of course, is, is I suppose, like in, in Rio, that's Carnival, that's um, right, and, and Mardi, and Mardi Gras in New Orleans. The original meaning of a carnival then in Latin is carn is meat yeah. and val is goodbye mm-hmm. and carnival is goodbye to meat. Yes. Before, before Lent begins. So Catholic countries around the world, Shrove Tuesday, oh, yes, the day yeah, before Mardi Lent Gras has always been New Mardi Orleans, Gras, yeah, New Orleans. And Brazil. Mm. Everywhere, yeah. Yeah. And then to add to add to their torture, the following Sunday was called um Well you know Sunday ch- ch- Chalk Sunday. I know I suppose but Sunday. but hang on Kieran, before we get to that, because I'm I'm trying to kinda go back to the beginning and and because t- it's there's a lot to take in there. Yeah, of course, yeah. So We've established that in the early history of the Catholic Church, Irish monks used a different method for calculating the date of Easter from that used yep. in Rome, and that some of these monks would have been the monks that would have been over in the Skelligs and those mm. beehive huts, but many, many years ago. Now, this Skelly, Skelly King Day is one of the potential pronunciations for Please, this yeah. for this night of, of Shrove Tuesday. And and while you've been chatting, I've been having a little look to see what I could find, and it, it seems mm. that back in the 1600s is when boats would have carried single men and women to the Skelly like rock, where right. single men were to repent their sins and women to pray for a good husband. <laughs> However, it degenerated into a party with dancing and drinking. The result, uh, the result that the clergy eventually opposed the practice. Now, <laughs> now maybe that is where that name came from. And, oh, I, think and, I think you're right, yeah. And, and, right, got, yeah. and got yeah, held. Yeah. So obviously as well, and we look at Mardi Gras in New Orleans or we look at Carnival in Rio, Tuesday or the night before uh, Easter commencing was a night for to let loose before you couldn't for 40 days. Absolutely, yeah. yeah so, yeah. you know, maybe there was a whole sort of things all conspired together to create this sort of tradition of, of Skellig Night as it got called. Mm. Uh, you'd, you'd wonder... I mean, was it the sex thing in the control of sex or was it just the, the importance that was put around marriage and then people who weren't married who quote-unquote were supposed to be? And, you know, there's all other aspects into that then as well. And Some people who might have chosen not to get married because, you know, the opposite sex mightn't have been their preferred option, should we say. And, you know, there's all sorts of ways where you could look at where they would bully people who weren't able to get married, maybe. No, 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 no they would, yeah. And I know. think there was also desperate social pressure, particularly after the famine, to ensure that people were married and that children were legitimate and that inheritance could take place in a straightforward and definite and legal manner. So marriage was very important for property inheritance. Mm. And of course, land was the obsession of the Irish people at the time. Yes. Ownership and control of land which I suppose it still is to a certain extent. But to think that they came up with lists of, of people, and I mean, you'd wonder, was this just unmarried men and women? I mean, presumably they had to be unmarried men and women, but also they were probably targeting people they wanted to target or people oh, who had fall, oh, yeah, fallen yeah, yeah. foul of something or other. Um, yeah, yeah. It sounds a, li- a little bit vicious. And yes, that, that painting, I've seen it in the Crawford oh, Art right. Gallery. It's well worth looking at because, I mean, it's yeah. it's Cork in 1845, a long time ago. Mm. What I read about the statue, so Shrod and Koppel 
Louis, uh, the, the Street of the Yellow Horse, or mm. Grand Parade as we know it now. Seemingly that statue of George II was where the Berwick Fountain, isn't it, on Grand Parade? So yeah. pe- people, were, that's where the statue was originally. Then yeah. it got shoved down to the other end of the street where the, where the national, more or less where the National Monument is that's now. That's right, yeah. Or the boardwalk, anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. Or, or the National Monument, which I loved when I came to Cork first, and I was told it was the sunken cathedral. Did you ever hear that? <laughs> no, the sunken cathedral, because what you see above ground is just the top of it. The rest, of the, <laughs> right. the rest of the cathedral is below. <laughs> It'll change the way you look at it the next time you see that. Um, and yes, and yeah, so obviously this was a place of gathering for people on nights. Oh, it would be, yeah, it would and be, they yeah. gathered on Skellig Night on South Mall Cork in 1845 where James Beale yeah. remembered it in his painting and the, yeah, the torch yeah. the torch lit and the, the carts and the and the lists and the, Jesus, I mean, the, 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 the gathering of people, the gathering of people with ropes as well is, is, yeah. is, is bizarre, isn't it? That's the thing, they, they put ropes around them and dragged them to the pump at the top. And, and maybe the water was purification. That's true, you're right, yeah. Like, from the baptism. <laughs> and girls would be tied to a pole or a tree or a gate until someone would rescue them. That's and you were that. saying to me as well that the, the tradition carried on late enough that, that, that some schools in some villages and towns... That's right. Uh, the, the guards, would, the sergeant of the guards would be, uh, <laughs> would be on duty and the girls would be left out an hour early to try to avoid being corralled by the boys and dosed by the boys. The torture continued then on the following Sunday, first Sunday in Lint, was called Chalk Sunday. Single people, their clothing was marked with a chalk X. And if they didn't like you particularly, they'd mark you with what was called a rattle. And the rattle was a thing that was used by people to mark their sheep and cows, a very solid block of red or whatever colour. Very hard to get off your clothes because if it could stay on an animal's skin or on a sheep's wool, um, be very hard to get out of your clothes. And the Monday then was called Salt Monday. The torture was never ending because they put salt on the people to keep them fresh until the next Gaelic night. Goodness me. John Maxwell of McCroom was telling me that he remembers as a boy in the 1950s going out on Gaelic night with a rope, corralling young girls who were also out, which is interesting, even though, as he said, Maybe they should have been a bit more wary, but they were probably enjoying the thrill and the excitement, maybe, I don't know. And they would be brought to a tap, because in those days, people didn't have water in their houses, and there were water pumps called taps um, all over the towns in Ireland. So they'd be brought to the tap, roped and brought to the tap, and then doused with water once they had reached that point. And in a wonderful phrase, then, he says, the, the practice ceased when television arrived, in 1962. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, and it seems like the mid-1800s were the kind of the peak for all of this. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and, and the connection to the Skelligs thing is this sense that Easter started a week later over there. So if you weren't, married, that, yeah. if you weren't married on Shrove Tuesday, the slagging was about go out to the Skelligs. You've got a, you know, you've got a week... If you go out to the Skelligs, you've still got a week left. That was where that kind of came from. That's and right, seemingly yeah, yeah. the lists then were about sort of... Um, not necessarily naming courting couples, but linking people in the community who were the least likely to marry each other and to mock them a little bit as a result of that. Yeah, seemingly it could be quite vicious. Yeah. Very vicious. Right. And I think at the time, we can't judge, I suppose, 100% accuracy, but I think life was a bit rougher. Oh, yeah. In general. Yeah. Um, and a bit more violence in general and a bit more tolerant of um, 
antisocial behaviour, as we'd call it nowadays. Mm. Well, it's interesting to see that statues were getting toppled back in the day then as well, isn't it? That's right, yeah. yeah uh, poor old George, I suppose that was the time of the rising of the nationalist movement in mm, Cork. Yes. Uh, which was obviously one of the uh, focal points for the revolt for the war of independence later, but that would be around the time that the national consciousness was increasing mm. and the Fenian movement had been formed and <clears throat> various organisations like that. So that wouldn't have been unpre- unprecedented for Cork to... Um, have that happen. No. No, no. Uh, I found an interesting little bit here. So an American folklorist, Jeremiah Curtin, in the late 19th century, so that's the late 1800s, noted that in the village of Cahersavine in County Kerry, the boys and girls from 8 to 15 were out with ropes to lasso any girl of marriageable age whom they could find. If they caught one, they tried to drag her to the river and throw her in because the time had expired and she was not married. Jesus Christ. Wow. And McCroom, McCroom, McCroom County Cork, 1916, Folklore Journal. It was the men who were targeted by bands of youths for their failure to marry before Lent. The party holding a rope would watch for his approach and then divide. Half would go one way, the rest the other side, wind him him in the rope, and a song would be improvised to the effect that Paddy Leary is an old man and ought to be married. God's Lord. And the particular pressure was there on women, of course, as usual, that if a woman wasn't married... No matter what her age was, she would be referred to as a girl. Ooh. She did not become a mature woman wow. until she was married. Goodness me. Yeah, so to be called a girl, and obviously the phrase all made, but girl was used as well if they weren't married. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I, in advance of this as well, I, I did another bit of checking and I saw another one. Tory Island off the coast of Donegal up north. Couples that were wishing to get wed before Lent needed the priest to come over in the boat. Right. <laughs> if the weather was too rough, seemingly what they would do is they'd stand on the shoreline closest to the Donegal, the North Donegal coast, <laughs> south of them. The priest would stand on that shoreline and he would go through as much as he could go through. And seemingly they were half wed. Oh, and this, this was better than not being wed at all. Now, oh, I'm not, right. yeah, I'm not yeah, sure yeah. if they could fully consummate everything, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, it meant yeah. then that the priest would come out whenever the weather passed. Oh, so yeah. he could finish off the wedding during Lent because they'd already been half-wed oh, right. before Lent and had as begun. Charlie, as Charlie Hyde said, an Irish solution to an Irish problem. <laughs> We've many of those, don't we? <laughs> we haven't. We have many of those. And you know something? I heard something now, and there's controversy about this too, uh, in the travelling culture, and uh, uh, grabbing. Uh, I, I know it was it featured in in my big gypsy wedding uh, or right. my, uh, yeah. and the, but but travellers came on after saying I, that's the first time I've ever seen it my big fat gypsy wedding where traveller girls are grabbed as part of a courtship ritual which sees that's boys right. angling for a kiss. Now I had heard of it summer before um, that yeah. this was a travelling culture ritual unless of course maybe it's that show that I saw it in myself I know what you mean. because yeah, I know yeah, I know yeah. that they. Um, you know, um, uh, Pavy Point came out after and said that's you know that's that's a myth. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But but it it links a little to some of what we're talking about there. It doesn't oh, God, mean it sounds very similar, doesn't it? Uh, a, a little bit, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it would make sense that um, the travellers being a minority culture would imbibe some of the and would hold aspects. on hold on to traditions that were uh, yeah, that, yeah, that, that were true. more yeah. common. Yeah. 
Um, because I, I so, saw a, a two-part... John Connors, the traveller... Wait, the actor, excuse me, who yeah. is a traveller, uh, did a two-part documentary series on, on... It might not have been RT. It might have been an, an, on, on what was TV3 at the time. And uh, it was looking... Trying to find the roots of the travelling community. And it, it, it linked the divergence in DNA between the travelling community of now and the rest of the Irish population back to somewhere in the 1600s or something like that, that that was where uh, the lines diverged. And yeah, the, the yeah, purity yeah, of yeah. the DNA... In the traveling community mm. was was yeah. amongst the strongest in Europe, um, right. because be, because you know the community stayed it marrying each other as opposed to bringing in new newer bloodlines. But that, but mean, they, yeah. it suggested though that the split between the travellers and the rest of Irish society, um, like in other words, back when that split happened, how the travellers were living their life might have been how a lot of Irish people were living their life oh, at that right, point. Yeah, and yeah. that in in fact it might be travellers who held on to traditions <laughs> and ways of life and culture. <laughs> That at one time was was much more common. Um, right. So so they yeah, might yeah. you know that there's a, there's an argument to say state that some of how the travellers have continued to live their life at least over recent centuries was something mm-hmm. that was very common to Irish people before. Right, um, yeah, very interesting. Uh, but you're, you're going to bring us on now to uh, Bonner Night. Now, where I come from up the north of the country, or, or, or the northeast at least, uh, Halloween was the night where we did bonfires, not, yeah, not the yeah. 20. And I think it's almost specifically Cork, or certainly it's one of the strong points in the country where Bonner Night, the 24th, well, it's June 24th it's done, is it? When yeah, it, yeah. What, what well, is bo- Midsummer, so Midsummer, June twenty fourth, yeah. Because it's obviously the, it, it links with the summer solstice of the twenty first. Yeah, yeah. So tell us, to Saint, so Saint John's Eve. The, what have you found out? Twenty fourth was John the Baptist's feast day, because he was born. He baptized Jesus. He brought the world in the light into the world, and as a result, then the bonfires were lit to celebrate the bringing of the light. It was, as I said, an, an ancient pagan festival where the sun would be at its peak and the fire could communicate directly with the sun on the pagan celebrants. It happened on the night of the 23rd, St. John's Eve, was when the bonfires were lit in the Cork area and even I think everywhere else as well. It was traditionally a fertility rite because at that point in the agricultural cycle, the crops would be at a significant stage of growth and the cows would be at their maximum production of milk and they wanted to ensure that the crops would continue to grow and the cows would continue to be productive. So they held a bonfire on that night to pray for fertility. So the bonfire was um, for a good harvest and for the health of the cattle and the fertility of the land. So in rural areas, the bonfire would be lit in the same place each year in a prominent location the fire should be lit at sunset and continue to be tended until after midnight. And the materials would have been forest bushes. An old man in the district would say a prayer and something along the lines of, <clears throat> in the honour of God and St. John, to the fruitfulness and profit of our planting and our work, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Also, in some regions, was a custom that a young person would throw in a bone because the original word for bonfire was bonfire. People would pray while walking around the bonfire in a clockwise cycle, the same route as the sun took during the day. The fire itself then, as you might gather from what I said even already, was regarded as having magical properties. So it was a custom of taking torches from the fire, 
using walking those torches into the fields where the cattle were and waving the torches over the cattle or indeed in some cases singeing the cattle slightly uh, to give them the blessing of the fire. And in other locations, when the fire died down and there were only embers left, they would create two little fires and the cattle would be driven between those two little fires to give uh, the blessing of the fire uh, to the cattle. The ashes were also regarded as significant because the ashes would be scattered on the fields or on the crops and they would be taken home and used as a form of folk medicine as well for various ailments, is mixed with water and taken for various ailments. So then when the prayers were finished, and I presume the cattle had been blessed and the land had been blessed, they would be singing and dancing around the bonfire. And as the fire declined, I suppose, to some extent, young men would prove their gallantry by jumping over the fire. And there would be, as I said, carry on around the fire. At the end of the night then, it was considered to be lucky to bring sods of turf home from the fire to light your own fire in the morning or to light your fire for the morning. We all had, I remember well myself, um, my mother, God bless her, was a wonderful and very religious woman. So we had rosary beads and we had little um, cloth objects called scapulars, which you wore around your neck. And over time, these would wear out or get broken. And it was regarded as acceptable to dispose of an old rosary bead or a worn-out scapular by throwing it into the fire on bonfire night because that was a holy and sacred fire and you weren't disrespecting the religious nature of the mm. objects. Mm. In parts of Cork as well, and I remember a man eating this um, when I was a young boy um, in the 1950s. <laughs> it seemed to be his only diet. <clears throat> he, he ate what was called goody, G-O-O-D-Y, goody. And that consists of white bread. He had a huge a full loaf of bread soaked in milk he had a big bowl and flavoured with sugar, in his case, and spice. And that would be cooked in pots by the side of the fire. But as I said, he seems to have continued in his own life. Perhaps he had bad teeth or something like that, that he couldn't eat normal food. But he certainly survived on goody. And then at night as well, late at night when the fires had died down, women would walk through the embers hoping for a good husband. And if they were pregnant hoping for a happy delivery of the child. Now, hang on, let me just jump in there for a second, because you mentioned your man that you knew growing up that used to eat goody all the time. But how much of what you're telling me now is stuff that you remember as well? We were gasping for entertainment. We would do anything. And I remember we did light a bonfire in about 1961 or 1962. We were in a prominent place in the called The Rock. We weren't supported by the adults, let's put it like that. Yes. For dividend, you know what I mean? No idea about the festival or yes. St. John. Yes. Or we just knew that there was a vague memory of a tradition Yes. that people used to do this. And we were so starved for entertainment, we decided we'd do it. But as I said, we were actively discouraged hmm. and we didn't do it again. <laughs> well, I remember I used to build bonnets for um, Halloween and... Uh, when you look back at it, like, you know, you were getting tractor tyres and, uh, car, you know, like what we were pumping out into the atmosphere. And she'd be throwing in aerosols to get the bang off it as well. Or, you know, all, stu- <laughs> all stuff you shouldn't be doing. Um, 
But you, bon, are worse, you are worse than me and my there friends. You, well, there you go. Bonanite still exists. or You know, it is amazing to think that that is the tradition that it links back to. Give me the bit at the beginning again of where they linked it to St. John. St. John baptised Jesus and Jesus brought the light to the world. Right. Okay. And so the light then was represented by the bonfire. But of course, the pagan tradition would have been that this was the midpoint of the summer. And the and, summer and, and it was to a goddess called Anya. She was the goddess of fertility. So the Catholic Church, just as they did with Christmas and many other pagan festivals, took it and made it their own. Oh, there you go. But I mean, St. John then was believed to be born six months before Jesus was born hmm. in December. Yeah. Well, yes. And that is their start. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, they made they made that one up as well. Um, uh, well, it's funny because I just on air recently now was talking about St. Bridget's Day, which is... So there's four Gaelic slash Celtic festivals. Yeah, yeah. I- Imbolc is the 1st of February, traditionally the start of spring, and it comes... I, I'm not... I suppose it's Gaelic, and it comes from in the belly, meaning the ewes, the sheep, would be pregnant. So yeah. apparently the date would range. So it was like when you... The first you to be seen pregnant was the beginning of Imbolc. Right, yeah. yeah, And and, um, so that was the start of spring for the the Gales or the Celts of old, Imbolc, February 1st. Bailtana, and and Bailtana is the fire of Baal, and Baal was a, 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 a... pagan god well, it was a very serious god in the Middle East mm. as well yes yes correct yeah, and Moses so, was objecting to Baal and mm, worship of yep, Baal yep. was not worshipping the true god and there it is connected to you know our ancient Gaelic yeah, yeah, uh, no, forefathers Moses was very strong May 1st Baal Baal Tina Baal, uh, Baal, Baal's fire and that fire, was on yeah, the yeah. that was seemingly on the hill of Ishnok in Westmeath the, the, oh, right. the reputed centre of the country yeah, uh, yeah. Which is a small enough hill, but still can be seen far. Like it, it overlooks a plain on all directions, right. and uh, seemingly fires would be extinguished across the country uh, for that May May first bale tinner, and the big yeah. fire would be lit on Ishnock, and seemingly it could be seen from from almost a, a quarter to a third of the country, and then you would light your fire from the fire of the hill of Ishnock, and uh, it, it, there's some connections. Saint Patrick, Saint Patrick got into trouble. Hmm. Because he lit his fire on that night on the hill of Slane. Out of the custom, yep. That he should blank his fire or not have his fire, and he got into trouble. Hmm. I got away with it, though. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Oh, he got really? to the king. He got called over to the king. Yeah, he but. <laughs> But because oh, that was like he was in the hill of Slain, which is across the way from the hill of Tara, which oh, is right, which so is which is, right, which is so yeah. <laughs> but you'd imagine that that whole thing about the the summer fire, the midsummer fire, and you you everyone's extinguished, and you light your own from it, and yeah, all of this, yeah, and the yeah. the passing of the cows over the thing. I mean, it's yeah. um there's some lovely traditions in there, to be honest. I just with you. want to say that I mean uh, those fires being that that tradition you mentioned there on the hill of Ishnok, that is really beautiful. Hmm. The, the navel of Ireland is what it's called. All right, now that is really beautiful. You could so, have, you could envisage that yourself in your own mind. Hmm. So it's and one of those people. Obviously, the darkness was very frightening. That they were hoping that the sun, that the seasons would turn and things would improve. You know that fire was very important to them. Then absolutely, that was a lovely that was a lovely custom. One of the enduring legends of Ishnock is that it was the first. It was the location of the first great fire to be lit in Ireland to usher in the first dawn of summer in May. The Ishnock hearth burned biggest and brightest of all, visible to over a quarter of Ireland. Hearths were extinguished in every Irish home and fireplace in the country in anticipation of a new flame from Ishnock's belt and a mm. fire. It must have been an extraordinary sight. That's and it must link as well to the midsummer thing of St John's Eve as well, well of or, it does, yeah. Yeah, or or yeah, yeah. or do we do we have a name for it before St John's Eve? No. 
Anya, Festival of Anya. Yeah, maybe something like that then, yeah. Yeah, Anya, yeah, yeah. And Bonner Night still links to it. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what, let's finish up with, you've something for me on St. John of Mushera, have you? Yeah, in the 1950s and 1960s in Dunmanway, if something was out of the ordinary or ignorant and not very cultured, mm-hmm. you were described as being from Mushera, oh. the, the mountain Mushera. And Mushera is the highest peak in the Bagra Mountains. And Mushra, um, that area there, has a tradition of their own St. John, St. John of Mushra. And he has three holy wells. The most prominent of those is on the Mill Street or Bain side of the, the mountains. It's supposed to be good for warts. The well is supposed to be good for curing warts. Up to the 1940s, there was a pattern at that well uh, where people would attend the well. They would um, do a pattern of prayers, a very detailed pattern of prayers, walking around the well, seven Our Fathers, seven Hail Marys, seven Glorias, and a decade of the Rosary as the well is being circled. Kneeling in front of the well, they'd say all those prayers, and then while walking around the well, they'd say um, a decade of the Rosary. So the, then when the praying was finished, the crack began, because tents would have been set up in the immediate area, selling all sorts of goodies and including drinks. So there would be a celebration. The well that I'm referring to there is called Tubber Nathani, which must be the Irish word for or what. And then there are a few people who are worth mentioning in the development of that site because after 1940, the audience and the passion kind of died off. In 1954, Michael Buckley of Oban put a picture of St. John over the well. Uh, another man, Sonny Buckley, Tullig Mill Street built a little structure, the timber altar, to protect the, the, the picture. And in 1958, a central grotto and two side grottos were built. The first mass was celebrated there on June 24, 74. When Sonny Buckley, the man mentioned a few minutes ago, when he died, he left a lot of money to building stations and stations designed by Liam Cosgrave of Blackpool were elected by voluntary labour. So now we have a beautiful site the well and its two side statues beside it and these beautiful stone stations of the cross surrounding it. So we have McCroom, our Mill Street, has its own version of St. John as well. Okay. Which is fascinating that those men did, obviously men of great belief, built a beautiful thing which they have left for their community. And had a, a day for, for people to sing and dance? Some, <laughs> something, something. Have you said your prayers? Yeah, I'll say the prayers and sing and dance. Uh, I'll, I'll say my prayers so we can one day return to sing and dance. That's exactly. what we'll do. Good man, that's great. Thank just, just, just to tie it back, I wonder now if, you know, because St. John's Eve traditions uh, happen across the world, but you'd still wonder if some of that stuff about the fire and the lighting of the fires and the other ones links back to that uh, bail kind of thing, you know, I and got transferred surprised. a little yeah, bit. That's fascinating about Baal, hmm. as I said. In the, in the Bible and in the Old Testament, he was a major hate figure. Hmm. Yeah, well, there was, a, there was a, a man who quit his job in RTE and went to live in the west of Ireland. Uh, Bob Quinn. Bob Quinn Bob is his Quinn, name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he made a three-part documentary that I've only recently seen. I'd heard about it for years called Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And his theory essentially was that countries on the Atlantic seaboard have a common culture in, in from from all the way to the to the Middle East. You know your Phoenicians or Phoenicians, perhaps they're pronounced, right, who effectively came yeah. from from the Lebanon. But mm. to Egypt, to North Africa, to Portugal, to Galicia, to Brittany, uh, to Wales, Ireland, Scotland. 
yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. that the Atlantic Coastway was a seaway that connected all of these people and some of the Shanno singing that you hear in the west of Ireland or out in the Iron Islands mm. uh, links to the sort of um, singing that you could hear in, in Morocco amongst the Berber oh, people and oh there the was Phoenicians were yeah. tremendous sailors and that uh, yes and that tied in with the Irish church keeping the orthodox <laughs> Christian <laughs> right. calendar because actually oh, yeah, because good. actually we related more and connected more to that sort of world and tradition than we did the central european mean, the, roman the, the run roman tradition in in, in italy hmm. later tradition hmm. yeah that makes so, sense yeah yeah kieran uh, i think we've uh, i hope we've entertained people again on this cork history oh, matters great. podcast where we have covered uh, a number of things uh, amongst them skellig night skelliging skelling skilling also pronunciations and accents and all sorts of things can change yeah, it but a night of uh, mischief and mayhem my God, it's lost. And, uh, and, a, and, a, and a bit of bullying that maybe it's, it's, it's good it's gone, although I suppose yeah, yeah. In, in, in our modern society there are many ways for people to be bullied still. That's true. Sadly. Anyway, seems yeah, seems yeah. to be central right. central to the human character, unfortunately. Looks like it, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kieran Conley uh, of Dunmanway, uh, the author of the book of Sam Maguire and uh, a man who gratefully chatted with me about Sam Maguire, Liam McCarthy and Archbishop Croke, the Cork's GAA Holy Trinity, that podcast yeah. is available great connection on your part great uh, connection thank you and um, and thank you for this chat again a, a no further problem. Cork History the first Cork History Matters podcast of 2021 over and done with thank you Kieran. thanks Dave you've been listening to a Red FM podcast for more extra content go to redextra.ie